0: From And welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, June 6th, 2014. This week is episode 329, and we're coming to you from Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Here with me in the studio at the controls is Jessica Lawson.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Hello, Jess. Back in the studio at uh, the old studio, Studio C in McKee's Rocks, is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick.
2: Oh, I'm still here, Joe.
0: All right. And joining us for the roundup will be our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Today's segments include, we're going to have an interview with Dr. Hung Chung out of the Baltimore, uh, Maryland area with Cogency Environmental. And then we're going to have, of course, do our halftime and we'll bring in Dr. Weil for our roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at
3: com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, cleanfax.com. And CMMonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products.
0: All right, let's uh, let's turn it over to the Z Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. There seems to be a glitch with the uh, with the sound on our sponsors. We'll bring them back in a little bit. Cliff.
4: Okay.
2: Competing fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations to Andy Krasowski, Comcast Metal Products. In Mars, PA, for identifying what famous Virgil Grissom, Neil Armstrong, Chesley Sullenberger have in common. They're all Purdue graduates. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, June 6, 2014, has been sponsored by Triska. The Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is www.prsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Today is the seventh or 70th anniversary of the Normandy invasion. The Supreme Commander for Allied Forces was Dwight David Eisenhower. Today's question is, who was the Deputy Supreme Allied Commander? Back to you, Joe.
0: All right. Thank you, Cliff. Today's guest is Dr. Hung Chung. Dr. Chung is the president of Cogency Environmental, formerly Uh, oem advisors in baltimore maryland he's a graduate of loyola college in baltimore and received his medical degree from the university of maryland medical school his first residency and board certification was in primary care internal medicine from the university of maryland hospital he later received his master's in public health from john hopkins university in environmental science and he returned for further postgraduate training and got his second board certification in preventative medicine, specializing in occupational medicine from Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. For the last 16 years, Dr. Chung has been working full time in the occupational and environmental medicine field and also public health consultation. He also served as the state medical director for the state of Maryland and has worked with many local municipalities and large corporations to help build safe, healthful, indoor environmental quality. He also has performed indoor environmental quality investigations, risk communication, and medical advisory services. And he'll be joining us at the IAQ Training Institute, IAQ Radio, Healthy Building Professional Summit in August at Seven Springs, Pennsylvania. And his presentation is titled, Learning to Resolve Rather to... Rather than to merely inspect or sample, and Dr. Chung will be our keynote, that will be a four hour presentation. So let's bring him on, see if we've got him here. Welcome, Dr. Chung. Good morning. All right. We've got you. I was a little worried. We had a glitch with the music, and I thought, uh-oh, we lost them, but uh, we'll figure that out and get it back in. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you. Um, we met at the IAQA conference this year, and that was a quite interesting conference, and it was great to get to sit down with you and uh, Chip, uh, one of your guys, Chip Motley, was uh, at our class last year, and... At the time, you were the OEM advisors, Dr. Chung slash OEM advisors. What happened uh, with that, and why are you now Cogency Environmental?
5: Well, Cogency, we're a medical science consulting firm that uh, investigates and crafts solutions based on scientific and health-based research, and our mission is to uh, provide solutions to protect your people, your purpose, and your reputation. The cogency name was selected uh, uh, after actually weeks of uh, debate and uh, uh, um, uh, cognitive challenges and things like that. And, and it really came from our old mission statement. Our old mission statement is that we provide leadership and clarity in helping manage and prevent environmental injuries and occupational hazards so the name cogency came together because we wanted to reflect
0: leadership and clarity so there it it is and maybe you could explain a little bit for me and for our listeners do you how many people are part of the cogency group i know i met two at the conference and do you have people out that are part of you know doing investigations for you or is that something you just coordinate with outside people
5: uh, we do both. Uh, we have uh, folks in house, uh, both full time and part time folks, but we do have a network of very experienced consultants who help us in the field, uh, and, and that's really uh, necessary because we want to provide the geographic coverage um, for many of our projects. So we have gone as far as Arizona, and
0: so you you do travel around the country for these projects.
5: We do, and we can.
0: I see. All right.
5: Well, why don't we talk about... Go ahead. Telecommunications nowadays, it's actually very easy to kind of coordinate a lot of activities and kind of provide resource and serve as a resource um, for the uh, folks in the
1: field.
0: I see. I see. And we're going to ask if you could speak up a little bit louder that um, maybe one of the listeners couldn't hear you as well. And and if you could help us with that we'd appreciate it Um, and I'll do my best on this end to pick up the volume a little bit what about um, can you tell us a little bit about one of the cases or or a past case that your team has been handling sure we've had uh,
5: some very interesting cases Um, and we'll probably I'm gonna kind of go over some of these at the uh, workshop or healthy buildings professional summit this summer But we've had occupational asthma or environmental asthma clusters that kind of repeated itself at a medical office building that took some time to uh, resolve or uh, respiratory outbreaks uh, at a fairly mass level at a resort. And and we're going to go over how to tackle those issues um, uh, at the uh, workshop. Uh, And I think an interesting one was an allergy and respiratory symptoms in a in elementary school through multiple school years and different classrooms and we finally figured out it was due to the horse standard of a classmate uh which you know she was grooming the horse and mucking the stalls before the school and while everybody's looking at the school we did you know it took a while to figure that out so there, there's some interesting cases that we've had including some uh, take home leads and heavy metal exposures and you know, sometimes the investigator just needs to realize the problem may not be generated at the home or at the site of the problem. It may be brought to that area.
0: That's interesting. I have a, a good friend that works at Children's Mercy, and then we had his boss on, um, Dr. Portnoy, and then Dr. Sublette. And he, he Dr. Sublette's in Kentucky, and he also mentioned um, allergy to horse, I guess it's the dander, is that correct? That is
5: correct, and as well, and and as well in in the, you know, the horse stall and environment, there are all kinds of dust, dirt, allergens, mold, and and critters. So it, it, it you know, in addition to horse standard, there may be other uh, agents and, and allergens that that can cause problems
0: huh. interesting and let's let's get a sound check if anybody it sounds much better to me it sounds good uh, hopefully everyone can hear well cliff let me turn it over to you
2: yeah i'd actually like to follow up a little bit if we could on this elementary case how did you you know, how did you solve the problem i mean you know it, it just seems that you know it's obvious now but you know going in I don't know how you'd figure it out if you could kind
5: of take us through that. Sure. I mean, you, you really have to, you know, we serve as a basically the liaison between the, um, the, the pediatrician and the investigators. And, and I think, you know, it, it's a process of elimination. And, and once you start going from one classroom to the other and you continue with symptoms, that's when you say, well, maybe it's not the school environment. So you want to look at Things not related to the site where the symptoms are manifested, and of course, you know, as part of environmental medicine, we also look, you know, at internal factors, whether it's some, you know the person's own, you know, medical condition or, or, or genetics or, or, or family history of things uh, versus something external. And then, when it's something external, you have to figure out which agent, which source did it. And, and so it, it took a little bit of forensic work. It took about eighteen months uh, for this to to really resolve.
0: Hmm. That's now. Did you work? Did your own investigators go out on that one, or did you work with an outside group?
5: Uh, or, that was actually an outside group.
0: I see. That's interesting.
5: And, and, and we do that frequently. I mean, you know, oftentimes, you know, what's obvious in the home environment, school environment, and building environment may not be what's causing the. Uh, problem with the patient and, and so kind of understanding environmental medicine and toxicology and and issues as such it, it's uh, it, it, and understanding causation analysis and how up to the causative agent or causative factors I, I think that's uh that was that was very helpful in resolving these these uh uh
0: complaints i'm, I'm curious with respect to seeing and talking to patients do you run into problems because of the, the I guess uh, the state-by-state requirements for medical people
5: uh, you can and you do but all but we try to really um, identify um, the environmental factors we, we're not really into as much the uh, the diagnosis and the treatment and and things like that we're just trying to help when we're out of state and we're not licensed we're just trying to help identify what may be causing it and translating it from the medical side to the environmental side and and, and really help with the causation analysis.
0: I see, I see. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, in 2006 or from 2006 to 2008 You were the principal investigator on a large epidemiology study and health hazard evaluation for the Department of Defense, and this was at a large military base in the United States here. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that ties in with the indoor environmental investigation?
5: Sure. Um, It actually came as a congressional mandate where the conferees for the Ronald Reagan National Defense Authorization Act for 2005 directed Secretary Rumsfeld to undertake this epidemiology uh, and health hazard evaluation. Um, the reason was they've had two decades of indoor environmental complaints and reported illnesses without resolution and it involved many buildings. They've had many investigations prior. So we were actually asked by the employees or the what they call what we call the constituents, to actually come in to investigate, and we review the previous reports, and you know we ground truth all the maps and layouts, and, and and debriefed the occupants and management team, their healthcare providers, their facilities professionals. We focus grouped it, and, and we crafted a multi-tier study. So the study was pretty large; it involved over 7,000 uh, participants uh, who took questionnaires and. We divided, I think, 12 buildings into over 350 study areas using a geospatial distribution. So we looked at issues such as pathways and firewalls and HVAC or conveyance systems and work section or departments, including column numbers and and then we did a lot of uh, you know environmental sampling as well in addition to the questionnaire, um, and we also uh, survey the occupants uh, for building-related, non-building-related, and non-work-related factors, including work stress and work satisfaction. And and as a result of that, we kind of did a preliminary analysis uh, of the questionnaire data, environmental data, and, and we found that there were complaints, uh, significant complaints. And so, how do you put them in perspective? So, at that time, the EPA Uh, had a database of 100 non-complaint buildings across the U.S. So we actually requested that data, sorted through it and compared it to the data we found at this campus. Um, Our results show that there was no increased level compared with the EPA non-complaint buildings, but that is at such a high level that does not mean that there was no problem there. So we then selected individuals for the health hazard evaluation more examination questionnaire. Uh, we did workstation sampling, personal sampling. We took VOCs from mold, lighting, sound, dust, cleanliness, allergens, endotoxins. I, I think you name it. We, we sample for it. We end up with about four million data points on the health side, uh, and over fifty thousand environmental samples uh, results. Uh, and and we it took a lot of analysis. Uh, at the end of the day, we did not find any systemic uh, indoor environmental problems. There were certainly local and regional issues, uh, regional IEQ problems. The interesting thing was that we found that the stress was always one of the top three contributors or causes of symptoms there. Hmm. And that lack of humidity was also a significant factor. Um, And there were subjective and objective signs of poor housekeeping. So what we did as part of that project was establish a plan to address many of the local and regional building level IAQ problems. And then we worked with them to study the stress issue a little bit more and, and created a program for stress management and increased resiliency. And, of course, associated many outreach efforts because, you know, they need to understand it you know, how we did it and and uh, what we rec- what we found and, and what we recommended.
0: Now, you also mentioned uh, the stress was one and lack of humidity. So it was, you know, normally we hear about high relative humidity and the problems that that causes. Was this in a cold climate or was it all over the place? No,
5: uh, because of the equipment and because of the... Um, System that they have in there, the humidity was actually in the at times were in the single digits and or the low double digits. So that in itself created a lot of uh, drying of the mucous membrane, whether it's the eyes, the nose, the throat, as well as the skin. So you know that that created some symptoms in and of itself, and then the dryness, uh, I guess, because of the lack of humidity. Or due to the lack of humidity, uh, allows for resuspension of some of the pollutants uh, a little bit more easily.
0: I see. We're going to keep the volume up a little bit. And let me. There's a question here from a, a listener. What did the complainants think was causing the symptoms before the study?
5: Um, they were concerned that the buildings uh, were causing the uh, their symptoms uh, and illnesses.
0: No specific though it wasn't like uh, we have a mold problem or whatever it was just more general it's the building itself
5: well it was uh there were several or there were many I have to say including mold and chemicals uh, or some of the equipment uh exhaust and 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 uh, uh, mainly generated from the building structures or or, or building equipment uh, uh, and and uh
0: systems so and and in the study you mentioned was i i assume it was the epa based study which has a bunch of data points with respect to non-complaint buildings so if, if people That's are the, interested uh,
5: reference point we use the uh, to help us put some of the data in perspective
0: i see okay interesting interesting cliff um i Go ahead, John. All hey. right, I didn't know if you had a follow up. I know Cliff's Cliff's busy writing his uh, his blog there, so sometimes it gets it's tough to bring bring him in on these uh, in the middle of a long blog discussion. But now with respect to the let's go back and look at that particular study and it sounds like I mean, was this through your private company or was this through your work with the state of Maryland?
5: No, it was uh, through our private company.
0: Wow, that's a nice big project there. That's a lot of data points, a lot of sampling, and um, is that information available then? So, if someone wanted to get a copy of the the, the report, is that something that's available to the general public?
5: I think you can uh, request it. It has been declassified, but uh, uh, if you want to send me an email, I'll, I'll figure out how you can get a uh, a FOIA copy.
0: Yeah, that would be excellent. It'd be very interesting to see. Now, let's talk a little bit about the the good science with respect to doing indoor environmental quality, you know, investigations. And I, I guess I want to focus on the relationship with with the MD, um, whomever the MD might be. In this case, you know, you're you're in there working with people. You're maybe not necessarily their treating physician, but you're helping them understand from an MD's perspective what's going on in the building. What what are some of the key and and I think you mentioned them to some degree in in your discussion of that last project. But what are some of the key um, areas that a good indoor good indoor environmental quality investigation covers? With you know so so that you have the right information when you get a report. What's the important information for you?
5: Well, I and, and we're gonna go over this or as part of my uh, uh, workshop for the. Healthy Building Professional Summit this summer, this is the issue we're going to tackle, and that is the proper methodology in investigating an outbreak or investigating an individual complaint related to uh, the indoor environment. And, and the proper causation analysis uh, has several important points. And, and the first one is, well, what does a patient have or what do these individuals or patients have uh, because we may be at working at an outbreak level. And oftentimes a clinician will apply something called a differential diagnosis and trying to identify these symptoms and, and, and come up with a condition, diagnosis, or case definition that best explain the cluster of symptoms. Now, having said that, that's not to say they're always right you look at some of the literature, about 30% or more of the diagnosis are incorrect. So, you know, when we're referred cases or outbreaks, uh, including the uh, environmental asthma cluster that we will be uh, reviewing at the workshop, um, it's not unusual, it's not uh, uncommon that these are uh, incorrect and, and that they did not follow the correct uh, algorithm to establish a diagnosis. But once you have that, let's say you have that, then you have to, as a, an investigator, uh, you have to say, well, what can cause it? And when we see so, so the first question is, what does the patient or the patients have? The second question is, what can cause it? And when we ask that second question, we look at internal and external possibilities. Okay? Internal meaning their own condition uh, external meaning is it an exposure and if exposure could be indoor environmental as we um, come to understand it or it could be maybe uh, some something social that they do maybe it's alcohol or, or some other um, type of uh, uh,
0: exposure like um, cigarette smoking uh, or something There you go. Exactly.
5: So we look at internal and external, and and we have to know whether they have been shown to cause it. So we can't just say, "Hey, you know, he's exposed to a lot of cats, so the cats cause the cancer." Okay, you kind of—I know that's a a hilarious one or or, or, or extreme one, but um, but you kind of have to know that, and that scientifically it's been established to be able to do that. And then the last question as far as the causation analysis is which one did cause it? And so we look at issues such as exposure, dose, duration, latency, incubation period, you know, alternative exposures and 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 kind of systematically come to uh, the causative agent or possible causative agents and, and, and then kind of flesh them out. Um, you know, and then, you know, after the causation analysis, as an environmental invest, environmental uh, investigator, you know that you need to figure out how to then mitigate it, remediate it, and then on the clinician side, how to treat it, and then, of course, how to communicate it, not only to the individual, but maybe to the family and to fellow occupants, because if one is sick, the others will be nervous. So those are things that we will go over at the Healthy Building Professional Summit.
0: I like that. That's a nice outline uh, of the way to do it. Now let me let me just throw a uh I don't know a, a a roadblock in there. What what if we got I mean there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily um definitively, you know, we don't have a cause and effect um you know and I, and I think a lot of times people are uh, because of the media etc they're they're kind of self-diagnosing. Um, how do we handle that situation where, where people think it's definitely this that's causing their problem, and then you go through this process and you find, well, you know, it's probably not that, or I guess it's possible that it's that, but we really don't have enough scientific evidence to show that, you know, A causes B. How do we handle that?
5: Well, and, and I think what you said is, is, is exactly some of the steps that we take is there, there are limits to the science, but I find that, you know, especially with misconceptions and misunderstanding and, and you know, just reading probably not very reliable things from the Internet, uh, when that happens, I find education, very frequent communication, transparency, and really open-mindedness because sometimes you kind of have to listen to what they're trying to say and, and what why they're saying it. So I usually will meet with them one-on-one to show them, Hey, what we learn about their complaint, how we designed the investigation, what we found, our analysis using the uh, systematic methodology that we t- I talked about earlier, and then our conclusions and recommendations. And and usually that's that's enough. It's, even in the group setting, if I meet with some of the individuals who are really sick and kind of explain to them what's going on, and, and maybe some of the more vocal ones, uh, and, and we kind of go through that process. that that kind of helps to start having, especially at a, a an outbreak level, having ambassadors who can take that information back to the group. Um, and, and it's not unusual that I may also speak to their doctor as well to kind of explain the the environmental science or the toxicology related to um, some of the agents and some of the findings. So, um, so we do that. It, it takes some time, and, and and you know sometimes it takes um, a longer time to undo some of the beliefs that, that are carved in. And then there are times that there may be an agenda, and, and we're going to also go over uh, one of the cases at the summit where um, you know there was an agenda, and, and so. But if you follow the right pro- uh, procedures you should be able to kind of identify that there may be some other issues going on.
0: I'm just curious. You've used the term an outbreak level a few times, and I just wondered if you could define for our listeners, is there some you know, magic number that beyond a certain number of people uh, having the same issue is considered an outbreak? How do we define an outbreak? I'm not sure if
5: there is a classic definition uh, some of the cases that we've had uh, for instance we had a resort uh, respiratory outbreak at a resort where 57 people came down with uh, out of 220 uh, attendees came down with uh, respiratory symptoms and some were hospitalized with pneumonias and uh, or I think the environmental asthma outbreak. Uh, over 18 months, we had about 64 individuals. Um, I guess when there's a common source that's affecting uh, multiple people, it, it's probably a, a good way to put it.
0: Okay. All right. Well, it's um, Cliff. Do you have any follow-up on that? No. I've got 12:30 here, and what I'd like to do, I'm just we have. It, Jess is going to try and play the uh, halftime thank you for our sponsors. If it doesn't, uh, Andy or somebody, if you could text me and let me know if you hear it or not. And if it doesn't come through, I'll just go down the list real quick. Thanks to our association sponsors. The Indoor
3: Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org.
0: And thanks to our advertisers, Grey Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers To provide superior environmental test instrumentation, visit them at
3: wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors.
0: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at... John Don J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management
3: Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at Clean, and cmm Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products.
0: All right, let's turn it over here now to the Z-Man for the first question for the second half of our interview with Dr. Hung Chung. Dr. Chung is calling out of Baltimore, Maryland, and he is now he's with the uh, newly named Cogency Environmental, and he was the former medical examiner, I want to say, for the state of Maryland. Great stuff. Uh, Cliff, let me turn it over to you.
2: Thanks, Joe. Well, Dr. Chung... Uh, does resolution of an indoor environmental quality problem always involve assistance from medical professionals?
5: No, I, I don't think so. And, and, and you know, and frankly, not all of them raise to a health level. But even if there's a health level, if the individual knows specifically. Uh, you know for instance what he's allergic to there, there may be other examples but if he knows there's specifically what he's allergic to or, or timing of it there there may be you know I'm, I think the investigator can can really sample for that or, or look for the various agents and and if they're present I, I think you you uh, mitigate it or or, or or figure out how to remove it and and with the resol- if there are a resolution of, of uh, symptoms I think that's all you need
0: Thank you now let me ask a, a quick question on on indoor environmental quality investigations. So you know we've got. All kinds of different indoor environmental quality investigators out there from the you know people that took the one day mold online course and all they're looking for is mold to certified industrial hygienists who also specialize in indoor environmental quality and um, you know just a, a myriad of different people out there doing these kind of investigations and and I'm sure you've looked at a lot of their reports and and I'm wondering are there any specific areas of the reports that you know y- you feel really that we, we need to focus on more uh, as a group and that we need to really make sure that you have the right information um, from our investigation. What's the key points you need to see in there?
5: Well, I, it, there are many, unfortunately. Um, I think the level of training, level of knowledge or consistency of training, consistency of knowledge and, and consistency of methodology uh, are very, very important. And it's not unusual that I'll see something and I'll, I'll do a little bit of calculation. I'll say, hey, they're not correct. They, they, they use the wrong factor or, 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 there's not enough power in, in what they sample when you have, you know, a 10 story building and you only grab five sample indoors. I, I don't think you can really project to that to say that represents the whole building. So I, I think consistency, um, lack of power, validity, um, and, and methodology. Um, the other is, especially if they're investigating health complaints, um, while it's good to kind of identify problems that are not up to code or not up to guidance, that may not be the problem that's causing the occupant complaint. For instance, in one uh, one of the cases that we will go over in the summer, uh, The HVAC company came in, and they were part of the team, and they were investigating this indoor air quality problem, and they said, hey, the system is not balanced. So the client spent $400,000 to balance the system. Wow. Now, I, I came in later, and I was shocked because, you know, if I or another investigator come back and say, you know, tell the engineer that they need to modify the system for occupant health issues, They would then have to rebalance the system. So, getting up to code or getting up to standards may be good, but it may not resolve the problem. And then, of course, there's the sometimes there just lack science in some of the conclusions and the recommendations. Um, There are a lot of uh, ways to test different things out there, and some of them are not quite valid or, or proven valid. Or have been validated as well. There's some pretty wild mitigation and remediation recommendations that um, may or may not work, or may or may not be necessary. So it's just the consistency um, in in, and the lack of science in in some of these um, reports that I.
0: You know, you mentioned sampling. Okay, and you know, being on the the being out in the field doing indoor environmental quality investigations, I find a real dilemma in in that we, we would love to do more samples and take more samples, but our clients can't, or at least they state they can't necessarily afford the expense of, of taking these additional samples. So my question is, if i have a choice between not taking enough samples to get some good statistical validity and not taking any samples at all where do i go
5: well it, it really depends on the problem and the agent of concern um, and, and sometimes you know we don't even recommend sampling the the other is that sampling is one piece of the puzzle you know your observations your inspection reviewing, you know, whether it's the MSDS, material safety data sheets or previous reports or reviewing some of the complaints, that may help you round out the picture. Uh, if I felt that sampling was necessary and I thought um, the, the, the ability to get statistical power is not there, I may design the uh, investigation to uh, sample the worst-case scenario, the worst timing. Um, in one of the buildings, we allow the building to uh, cook you know in two consecutive very hot days in the summer before we took some samples at, at some uh, at various points so we may just have to noodle through some of that and and uh, craft the design uh, slightly differently um, given the the parameters that you just provided I
0: like that that's that's a great answer and um, well, I I tend to focus on more of the uh you know the the overview of the building looking at the building systems uh, some of the more simple diagnostics you can do you know that don't don't require third party laboratory to to do the sampling and don't cost a whole lot more money and it sounds like uh we're on the same page there and then Uh, If necessary, I like the idea of uh, if you can't necessarily take as many samples as you want to to look at a worst-case scenario, and then just, I guess you would also recommend that they make that clear in the report for you when you're reviewing the report. Right. Uh,
5: You do have to identify the limitations. Okay. Uh, I know in the uh, big epidemiology research there were at least a couple of pages of limitations because we can only interpret it and project it to Uh, you can't totally generalize uh, is it to to all environments uh, if you're only sampling in in certain environments
0: Yeah, I think that's another very important point that a lot of reports and I'm thinking about my own I, I probably don't spend enough time on identifying the limitations to the report even though clients don't necessarily like to hear about the limitations. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, wait a minute, you're telling me this, but then you're telling me that, you know, you can't say for certain because of X, Y, and Z. So, But you're right, that's vital. We've got to have that in there. I like that. Cliff, any follow-up on that?
2: Yeah, actually, um, I, I, I do have a follow-up. And I think in, in terms of, of causation, uh, you know, from my experience, which is not as vast as yours, uh you know, about by any means. Uh when people were complaining about something either in their home or you know, in their office, I typically would classify it into into three areas, at least from an observation standpoint. You know, something chemical, something biological, something of a particulate matter nature, and and try to look from an investigator standpoint at all of those, rather than have the customer tell me that it's, you know, some chemical and, you know, it says on the MSDS sheet that it can cause headaches and, you know, when I'm at work, uh, I have a headache. So, uh, what am I doing right or what am I doing wrong?
5: Well, I think that's a a very nice approach, and and coming from the uh, environmental medicine side, we tackle it slightly differently. But... Uh I think it's quite synergistic. I mean we may look at, you know, issues whether it's at an irritant level, uh, whether it's at an allergen level, uh, or whether it's at a systemic level. And so we look for different agents and ingredients and, and, and factors that can cause those things. But they're very similar. Uh it, it just I think you go through one column, and and we, you may go vertically, and I go horizontally. I I don't know how to best explain it, but I, I think it's quite synergistic. Thank you.
0: Let's let's go into a little about some of your your current projects. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the current projects or or issues that that you're dealing with um, at Cogency, and maybe give us a little bit of an a uh, little better idea of how you handle those.
5: Sure. Um, we currently have a, uh, a silica hazard at, at a workplace that uh, uh, has some take-home silica and take-home lead concerns. Um, uh, it's at a, uh, a depot where uh, the the concrete flooring and the epoxy and the paint were uh, shot blasted or be blasted and, and basically uh, pulverized and somehow the contractor didn't do a very good job and left the of dust that would hang in the air. And, and, you know, silica, like sand at the beach, drops. If they're so fine that they can hang in the air, that's problematic and that's respirable. And so, uh, so we were called in to assess the hazards related to that. And, of course, when you start taking layers off, there's paint and epoxy and there's various ingredients in that. And of course, it has lead and associated with that there would be concerns of take-home lead. So we're dealing with a case like that. We are dealing with a case of dampness and mold in a home with a preemie and concerns related to that. And We're coordinating with the pediatrician and the allergist and conducting helping conduct and direct some of the investigations in the home as well as finding a new rental home uh that would uh, um, at least reduce the risk uh for this preemie
0: so uh, you you find there's definitely a moisture issue and uh, at this point it's better that they live somewhere else
5: right we found some mold and and and, and dampness uh, as well as some lead issues and things like that and and you know, at this stage, the precautionary principle uh, kicks into gear, and uh, it, it's better to be safe than sorry. Uh, we're dealing with uh, you know the the, the child's health and, and people's health, so we're we're a lot more cautious about these things. And we also have a very interesting case. We have a hexavalent chromium, in an assembly plant uh, where the hex chrome was used for painting, and there were. We were, eva- we were asked to evaluate past-present uh, exposure data and help them with some of the uh, uh, industrial hygiene and, and, and issues and, and, and evaluated the uh, workers. Um, there were some individuals that because of the various factors and some of the exposures were considered high risk. Now some of the factors are, are external factors like cigarette smoking. Uh, but we helped them develop an early lung cancer surveillance program uh, for those at high risk. So that that was a very interesting project, or is an interesting project.
0: Now, I want you to kind of put your, uh, you know, get your crystal ball out for us here. And tell us what you think is kind of the future of the indoor air quality industry. What kind of things do you see and actually, you just actually mentioned a few I think that are kind of current and future. The silica issue has been on the uh, in the news quite a bit, actually, with some proposed changes to that standard, etc. But what other kind of current and future issues do you see in the crystal ball with respect to indoor air quality?
5: Well, I'm not sure if I'm qualified to to really talk I, about that, but I, I can see there there are two areas I think. As far as the process, um, especially with the Affordable Care Act, and I understand there's some provision in there uh, for providers to prescribe uh, indoor environmental inspections uh, and environmental investigations to, to really in an effort to identify whether there's an external cause or contributor to, to the medical condition. And that's important because we have, you know, these, uh, the individuals with asthma, emphysema, other conditions, uh, if there's some way to reduce their hospitalizations, you can, you know, improve lives, improve health, productivity, you know, reduce absenteeism from schools and work. So, so there's a, not only a direct healthcare savings, there, there, there's, a, there's a direct and indirect uh, savings and, and uh, when you can reduce absences and increase productivity. I'd like to see it go more, as a result, I think we're going to see it being more scientific, more health-based, and, and I think your efforts at IICRC will be important as we uh, really develop uniform and consistency in, in investigation methodologies. I think some of the other specific ones, I think with ASHRAE 188, which I will also talk at the summit. Uh, I think Legionella is going to be a big issue because it will bring the focus uh, onto Legionella a little bit more, which is good because it, it is a, a condition of common environmental source or common environmental exposure. It's on the rise, and it's pretty darn deadly. Um, I think hookah barge, I think with the young kids— uh, we see we, we're going to see a lot of indoor quality problems and infectious concerns because if they're not cleaning those things properly, uh, imagine what you're inhaling into your body and into your lungs.
0: What was that again? I'm sorry, the the hookah, or the hookah bars. Oh, hookah bars. Yeah, yeah. Bars. I didn't realize how popular they were until. I was on the road in, uh, oh, at Purdue, Cliff. We were walking, I was walking around Purdue, and I bet I saw four of those places. Um, and then in Australia, I saw a few more. It was very interesting. Um, and those, yeah, I can imagine there's some problems there.
5: Right, right. And then, of course, with the sustainability drive and and, and continue uh efforts in in energy conservation, you know, you may see some issues related to blown-in insulation with some unintended consequences. And so I I think, you know, at the content level, Legionella, hookah bars, insulation, and then at the process level, hopefully we'll be getting more scientific and health-based. And and there will appear to be a demand for it because of uh, the uh, uh, ACA or Affordable Care Act.
0: So I'm curious, we have um, some friends of the show who work at Children's Mercy Hospital in, in Kansas City, and they are seeing the same thing with respect to the Affordable Care Act, and they're actually seeing where some state Medicare programs are, I don't know if they're paying for, they're at least evaluating whether or not to pay for indoor environmental assessments with in homes with children who have known asthma in particular. Are you seeing similar kind of thing in the Maryland area or at least consideration of the same thing?
5: I think there's consideration. I don't think it's implemented. I'm not sure the politics related to it and why the delay, but I understand the provision is in there. Great.
0: And and I'm curious if you see more MDs like yourself beginning to specialize in indoor environmental quality and health issues related to the indoor environment
5: Um, unfortunately no i think again with the provision in the affordable care act i think you will many will start looking and and referring to the environmental investigators to kind of hopefully help reduce the health hazards at home Uh, i think you know all clinicians are there and want to do good for their patients and want to Make sure they're healthy, and, and if this is a tool that they can have and prescribe, I, I think you're going to see many of them uh, will make some effort to uh, learn about this process and, and work with some of the investigators who are listening and, and, and some of the uh, uh, industrial hygienist, safety people, and IAQA members who who really can can help you know us manage some of these healthcare issues and exposure issues.
0: How how did you get? so interested in this area of medicine
5: oh i think i was the uh, state medical director i was also the medical advisor for uh, baltimore county in maryland and uh, and the school system is an older school system with many old buildings so um, i think one day very early in that in my career, they call me and said, Dr. Chung, we have this problem. We need your help. And so I think seeing a need to assist uh, a, a very large and very good, um, leader within the public school system, I, I, just went and studied it, attended workshops, read, uh, developed some ideas, tested them and, and, uh, um, form a network of, uh, individuals across the nation and knowledgeable individuals and 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 just kind of learn through uh,
0: education training and experience you know is there is there a source i mean i know that um you know fortunately i'm not too far from baltimore and i'm able to go ahead and work with you and and hopefully very soon we'll be working together on a particular project um is there a resource of or a network or some way that other people in the country who have these issues and want to work with an MD that you know is more understanding about what we do with respect to indoor environments, um, where would they look for someone like yourself to connect with?
5: Well, you know, I am part of the Occupational and Environmental Medicine uh, Network and, and, and society, so that's a good place to start. You can always email me or call me for a curbside. Uh, we have doctors. Uh, all over the country I have uh, providers in uh, Colorado and California and Pennsylvania and other areas and I'm licensed in in about 8 to 10 states Uh, but in addition to calling me I think the the, um, Occupational and Environmental Medicine Society is very good Um, I think uh, talking to individuals like yourself who may work with myself or other physicians and providers, um, you know, in this field, it's very important to stay connected uh, and also to kind of know your limitations. So that's why I have a huge network. It's not unusual that I'll pick up the phone and call a colleague or call you, Joe, or somebody, or, or Cliff, and, 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 and we'll say, hey, I have the situation. What's the deal? How should we tackle it? And, you know, and it may be, you um, something that you can help us with or, or 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 just the curbside so i think it's very important no one individual you know should try and know everything and, and, and understand everything because it just there's so much in the environment that that we have to investigate and 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 manage that it's very difficult for any one individual to to know all that so i would uh uh, and I tell this to residents both at UPenn and Hopkins, where, where I do workshops, is develop your network and know your limitations.
0: Great. Great advice. Um, what, Cliff, do you have another one before we go to the roundup? No, I'm good. I think we've got to get to the roundup because I'm not sure. I don't want to run over too much here. Dr. Chung, it's, it's about five minutes before one. Uh, if we run over a couple minutes, are you Okay.
5: I'm fine with that. That's fine.
0: Great. Let's get to the roundup and bring in Dr. Wow.
1: Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw, high. Cut him out, ride him
0: in, ride him in, let him out, cut him, him out,
1: ride him in, raw.
0: It sounds like the gremlins got into my computer while I was gone here. We're going to have to figure out what happened. But thank you, Andy. We got it. Uh, Listen, uh, let's get Dr. Wow on the line. I hope that's not as loud on everyone else as it is on me. Let's see. Dr. Dietrich
4: Wow. Beethoven can't be too loud.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: Dear, I wanted to give uh, anyway, you the last good, shot here. Uh, afternoon, good day, good day to our friends in Australia whom I met and perhaps a couple of new ones who will be listening in. I think they are sleeping right now, but they can listen to it tomorrow. <laughs> that's right,
0: that's right. Any, uh, I'm sure you have some comments on this one, Dieter, or some questions for Dr. Chalpin.
4: Uh, yes. Uh, I, I, I certainly do, and uh, Dr. Chang is is looking at an incredibly difficult um, a, a project, at a situation, and uh, I wish I, I know I will never ever have an answer for it, and I know many learned people who don't have an answer uh, either. Uh, We are looking at a heterogeneous uh, population, and we are looking for certain indicators. Maybe we can do that with blood tests and so on. But so far, uh, it is uh, incredibly difficult to get a handle on the situation. And why is this? Well, Dr. (laughs) Cheng was was smart. (laughs) He went to the military, and... Basically, you have soldiers well, they are hopefully still outbred, but at least you have a, a, a population that is somewhat uh, homogeneous. And uh, most of them are willing. They can't say no or yes. <laughs> uh, that's why you can work with those guys. And even there... If you, that They are basically eating the same food, the same uniform, the same routine every day, and there are so many outliers, so many things that just don't fit into what you are st- trying to study. Um, if you go one step out of that and go now into a more heterogeneous population, and Dr. Chuang uh, mentioned that, uh, yeah, there are so many... Uh, incorrect diagnosis uh, you you can get a cold from many things you can get a headache from many things you can get a, a, a backache from so many things and it is basically what the patient tells the doctor if i if i come in tomorrow with a broken arm into the emergency room and i said hey guys i slipped uh, uh, on the ice, even though there's no ice right now in Pittsburgh, I slipped down the stairs, and I broke my arm. And yeah, just fix it up right now. Uh, that's what exa- exactly what is going to be reported: broke arm, falling down the ladder or falling down the stairs. Uh, the fact was, I was drunk in a car accident, and I broke my. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, I broke my arm well we have incorrect information there so that to me is absolutely I mean it is so difficult to get a handle on it and um, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Jung uh, also told us I said we didn't when we were working on this and we, we were looking at things we didn't do that in a month uh, I think it was a year and a half, and you're still not at the end. It is unbelievable. It is so difficult because we are working with uh, 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 outbred people uh, of you know, males and females and, and blacks and whites and orientals and you, you name it. And to me, to sort that one out, is one of the most difficult problems. I worked in toxicology. You can't do epidemiology, <laughs> by definition, with mice. But I did toxicology with inbred mice. <clears throat> and they don't go out and drink. They don't party. They don't smoke cigarettes. They get exactly all the same and a very good diet, by the way. They are kept in cages. The light goes on in the rooms. Uh, 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 for 12 hours on for 12 hours off I mean it is a very uh, 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 regimented. Yeah, regimented lifestyle. it's a, it's, it's a very close uh, population if, and even then if you are trying to do the statistics on it uh, well you get very good results certainly better than if you have a uh, a bunch of uh, random selected people and even then it is very difficult so we are looking at at a situation that really will take time and i think much more uh, than we are having right now i i i'm looking at the dna stuff and the blood samples and other common denominators and i think we can maybe put certain people in certain groups and study those rather than the whole group where we have this and that and that and that and that we don't really uh, we are not really uh, uh sure about
0: well dear let me tie this into a question a text question that came for dr chung um when we were talking about that large study and I didn't get a chance to do this, guest three had a, a, do you think additional specific information uh, might have been obtained by conducting personal interviews versus questionnaires on that one large project you were talking about? Or did you do both?
5: We, uh, well, let me take a step back and and to address the uh, epidemiology study. Uh, This was actually a study of the civilians on the DOD compound. While some of the, Military folks were there. Uh, this was enlarged these civilians, and, okay. and because of 9/11, there was a uh, bimodal distribution of ages because there was increased, you know, DOD spending, and they were able to hire. So we had some very young, and some that are, you know, more middle age, or or, or as old as I, and things like that. But uh, uh, or even older. Um, so it was more of a civilian population. So there were there was a lot of heterogeneity within the group. Um, the uh, as far as uh, the answer to your question, we did do that. I think as as we as I said earlier, we had a multi-tiered design uh, study, and so after the first and preliminary analysis, we identified uh, those who are. Uh, uh, say more ill or unwell versus some of the controls and uh, versus the type of work that they do and and the shifts that they work in. And and then we did actually uh, health hazard evaluations including uh, interviews and physical examination, various types of uh, biomarkers, blood tests, uh, pulmonary testing. Uh, And then we went and sampled their uh, workplaces, workstations uh, including the chairs and desk, and had uh, many of them wear personal sampling devices for uh, for various allergens, agents, and 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 uh, and including summa canisters at their workstation. So uh, we did do that, and and uh, it, it was very good. It really helped address and 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 tested out the hypo the various hypotheses we have when we came into the project.
0: Huh. An interesting project, very interesting. I, Cliff, I just wanted to make sure you got in a last question or comment before we have to wrap it up.
2: Well, there's only one thing, and, and this is something that I'm always interested in. Uh, it was a question that was, you know, that, that was on the list, um, Doctor. What do you do when an occupant is just convinced or invested that they know the answer, uh, and you know they're wrong about what's making them sick? You know, what techniques? you know, can you use to lead them to the right conclusion?
5: Well, I think we somewhat answered that earlier, and, and, and that is um, you, you try to be open-minded, because if you seek to understand them, uh, you may be able to kind of neutralize or undo some of the of the uh, beliefs, uh, if you know they're wrong. I mean, if you know they're obviously wrong, then then, then uh, that's what I do, and, and, you know, I meet with them, I educate them, and I, I go through all the steps, the, the due diligence in how I investigated their problem and walk them through the science, and, and, and you know, and it's not unusual that I'll provide them with literature, and, and, and I usually provide them literature first because otherwise it's not unusual that they can go to the Internet and find something that's not credible. Uh, and and really try to walk them through it. And, uh, you know, you're not going to win over, you know, 100% of the individuals, especially if they're uh, some deep ingrained belief or certain agendas. Like I said, the one with agenda, we're going to actually work on this summer. Uh, But you do what you can, and and you you use the transparency and education with them.
0: You know, one of the things I noticed that, you're going to talk about in your presentation with us. Um, it's August 21st, I believe, in at Seven Springs in in uh, Pennsylvania. Is the the dreaded nocebo effect? Can you tell us just real quickly what what a nocebo is? I didn't not familiar with that term.
5: Okay, the every I think everybody uh, has heard of the placebo effect, and yeah. that is um, having positive. Effects or reactions to something that is, uh, um, you know, sugar pill or, or something like that. Well, a nocebo effect is one where is basically the opposite, where you believe something uh, that is benign is going to harm you, and and that is pretty well published uh, in the especially in the pharmaceutical literature, where they test you know, real drugs with, you know, sugar pills or controls or starch pills. But when, for the participants, they have to list every potential reaction that may occur with a real pill. And they want to know what happens with the individuals that are taking the starch or the sugar pills and things like that. And and voila, there's a whole host and list of, you know, reactions that they may have, you know, with, with something so benign. Uh, so, uh, it is the belief uh, of certain effects that will happen uh, when you are exposed or were exposed, and there are history and, and literature that shows how individuals who uh, was giving uh, nebulized saline, salt water, and was told it was going to worsen their asthma, will have basically asthmatic attacks. Fifty percent of them will have asthmatic attacks, and of those. If you then give them the same solution and tell them that it's the treatment for it, they will have a reduction in their uh, airway resistance. So, the, the, so we'll, we'll go through that and how that comes into play in, um, uh, in, in environmental investigations
0: that's i i wanted to get that as a quick you know a little teaser for those out there that are uh, thinking about coming to see your presentation i thought that was fascinating before we go is there anything that you'd like to add that we missed or uh, just anything at all that you'd like to get out before we take off
5: no i i just want to say thank you it was a pleasure to be on with you and, and for inviting me and uh uh, hopefully you got a taste of what the workshop's going to be like and I would love to see everybody in, in at uh, Seven Springs this summer.
0: Great. Well, we appreciate your willingness to join us and uh, really look forward to spending a little quality time there uh, up, up in the Laurel Highlands of Pennsylvania. Beautiful area. Ah, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks so much to this week's guest Dr. Hung Chung. Great job. It was fascinating stuff. I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick.
4: Always a pleasure, Joe.
0: Cliff, I'm sure you've got a bunch of writing to do today. I do, uh, I do, You've got quite the blog going. Of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, Thank you, Dieter, as always, for joining us. Jesse- uh, it's a
4: pleasure, and I'm looking forward to uh, our summer get together in, uh, my God, in two months.
0: Yeah, two and a half. Give me about another half a month on there, dear. i got a lot to do before. All right. You need the time. Don't (laughs) cut me too short on it. (laughs) And, of course, I want to thank our growing group of loyal listeners out there. Had a nice live crowd on today. We look forward to talking to you all again next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio.